Tune your ear to wisdom. Cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Welcome to Project Philippians, a deep dive into one of the richest treasure mines in Scripture. I'm delighted to have you join me today for another excavation into an amazing 2,000-year-old book. All right, all right. Welcome back to our study in the book of Philippians. So great to have you back with me. Last time I started the episode by asking you to imagine that you were in an ancient Greek city. Today, I want to ask you to imagine that you're in an ancient Roman city and that you, in fact, are a Roman soldier, a prison guard. And uh, in this particular day, you find yourself guarding a prison block with a few straggling old men in chains in their prisons. As you look into one particular cell, you notice a man in his 50s, perhaps long beard, straggly, obviously hadn't eaten very much recently. Maybe he has a piece of bread next to him, an old Jewish man sitting on the floor. Now, what surprises you about this particular prisoner is he has a visitor who's sitting there on the other side of the bars, listening to the old man and writing down what he's saying. And given the condition of this old man, you're rather dumbfounded when you hear the words that he's saying. And this is what you hear. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. <laughs> what a stunning and remarkable way to begin a letter from a prison cell. And this is the letter that we've been studying, a letter from Paul. And if you're the guard or if you're just a reader of this letter, you've got to be asking yourself, what on earth can bring this amount of joy and thanksgiving to the heart of an old imprisoned man. That's what we've been looking at lately, and we're going to continue today, and we're going to look in particular at verse 6, one of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture. But before we do, let's ask the Lord to bless this time. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this book, and we're so grateful for the the man that you used to write it. Thank you, Lord God, for placing something inside of Paul's heart that would allow him to write with such joy and enthusiasm and faith. And Lord God, that's what we want to discover for our own selves today. We want to, we want to incorporate that type of faith and joy into our own lives. So we pray, O oh God, that you would direct our hearts and minds as we read these words. We thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my friends, the verse that we have in front of us today is one of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture. And for good reason. This verse is one of the high points in the book of Philippians. It's one of the pinnacles of all of Scripture, a pinnacle of faith and joy and confidence. It's, it's really just a beautiful masterpiece of scriptural inspiration. But there's a problem that comes with that. And the problem is that it might be all too familiar to you. You see, I, I imagine that you have heard this verse quoted or preached on dozens or maybe hundreds of times. And it's become so familiar that, that you've lost some of the amazing beauty and wonder that this verse contains. 
And so the rather daunting assignment that is before me right now is to try to blow off some of the dust, to try to peel back some of the layers of over-familiarity and try to uncover some of the beauty and power of this verse. And in fact, we're not going to get through the whole verse today because there's just too much here. I want to actually focus on just a single word. It's the first word in the verse, at least in the Greek. Papethos is how Paul would have said it. We need two or three words to translate it in English, but it could basically be translated, I am confident. Confidence. That's, that's the word that we're going to be focusing on today. That's the one that I just want to meditate on for a few minutes because it's really quite striking that this Jewish old man with chains around his ankles sitting in a dank Roman cell can speak of confidence. I mean, what on earth does he have to be confident about? And as a matter of fact, this is not the only time he uses the word confidence in this letter. The idea of confidence permeates the book of Philippians. It's something that is very close to Paul's heart. And that's why I want to just take some time to meditate on this word, because I'll be honest, this is not a strong point in my life. Confidence is not something that describes me as as much as I wish it did. I spend far more time worrying than I care to admit. And I'll, I don't think I'm alone. I, I get the feeling that this ingredient of the Christian life is missing from far too many of my Christian brothers and sisters. So today, we are going to look at this word, confidence, pepethos. Now, as we did last time, we're going to start by trying to understand what this word would have meant in Paul's mind. And one of the ways we can do that is by looking in the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was one of the translations that Paul would have read. And we're going to find some of the places where this word pepethos appears. We will start our journey in Psalm 57.1. In that verse, David says, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will hide in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I'm sure Paul had that verse memorized. And buried right there in the middle of that verse is Papetho. But here, it's not translated confidence. It's translated take refuge in. Listen again. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will hide in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. And so I can just imagine Paul sitting there in his prison cell, meditating on this verse. The disaster has come upon him, the imprisonment, the potential execution, and yet he is claiming the power of this verse, directing his soul to take refuge in God, to put his hope, his trust, and his confidence in the God who can save him and protect him until the disaster has passed. And one of the things I learned from this verse is that confidence is something that we need to choose to do. We choose to take refuge in God. And here's the thing, when you decide to make that choice to start putting your confidence and taking refuge in God Almighty, something happens in your heart. And to see that, we're going to turn to Psalm 125, verse 1. And there we read, 
Those who trust, there's that word, papathos, it translated trust in this verse. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. You see, my friends, when confidence begins to take root in our lives, it gives us the stability and strength of a mountain, an unshakable, unmovable mountain. The picture that came to my mind when I was pondering what confidence is, is a skyscraper. I once went up into the top of uh, Sears Tower, one of the tallest buildings in the country, and I was told that on windy days, that top of that tower can sway back and forth by several feet. And what keeps it standing? It's those foundation piles, those pillars that they that they use at the very bottom and the foundation of the tower where they drive these piles down into the very bedrock and bolt the entire tower to those pillars. And because of that bedrock strength, that tower can face the storms. And that's that's the picture of confidence. Confidence gives us the strength of a mountain, as we trust in God, as we tell our soul to take refuge in God Almighty. The prophet Isaiah talks about this idea of confidence as well. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, he says, This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. You can probably guess which, which of those words is papetho in the Greek. It's the word trust. But let me read it again. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Confidence, when combined with repentance and rest and quietness, is just this picture of relaxing in the power of Almighty God to take care of us. But this verse doesn't have a happy ending. Let me read it one more time and and go all the way to the end. The sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You said, no, no, we will run away. (laughs) What a tragic picture. Isaiah is reminding his listeners that you get to choose whether you put your confidence in God or you run away and try to find other things to put your confidence in. And those things will end up failing you and falling far short. And God has this, I just love this verse because it's just a picture where God wants us to envision ourselves just relaxing, quietly resting and trusting him, putting our confidence in in him. I think these are the types of verses that Paul had in mind as he pondered this word confidence. So let's go now to his book where we'll look at how he uses this word. We're going to skip around a little bit. We already read verse 6 where he says, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So he's confident in God's work in the lives of his friends, the Philippians. But look for chapter 2, verse 24. He says, actually, in verse 23, I hope to send Timothy to you as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Remember, he's in prison, but there's something in his heart that gives him confidence that he will see them again soon. Where did that confidence come from? Well, to see that, we need to turn back to chapter 125. 
here he's talking about how he was looking forward to dying and going to be with Christ, which is better by far in verse 24. But it is more necessary for you that I remain here alive in the body. And 25, convinced of this, confident of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So Paul is confident that his work in Philippi is not done, and therefore this is not the last chapter in his life, that God has more work for him to do. He has confidence that God's got the story written and that there's more to come. Are you beginning to see how this confidence is such a powerful, stabilizing force in Paul's life? It just dominates his character and personality. He has a confidence that his enabling him to weather the storms. And the question is, where is this confidence coming from? I watched a movie recently about a a famous basketball player who was notable because, not only because of his excellent skills, but because of his excellent confidence. He knew when he had the ball that he was going to score. And he had this incredible confidence in him. And I, and I thought about that. I thought, is that what confidence is? Is this idea that I know I'm going to make it. I, if I just believe en- enough, I will, I'll be able to accomplish great things. I want to show you that that is not the type of confidence that Paul put his hope in. In fact, he says so specifically in chapter 3, verse 3, he says, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, even though I myself have reasons for such confidence. He goes on, Paul goes on in the following verses to describe all the different characteristics of his history and personality and background that could feasibly give him confidence. And he specifically says, those are not the source of my confidence. He says, we put no confidence in our own fleshly human abilities. Our confidence comes from God. That is that is so liberating for me because I'll be honest, most of my stress comes from my awareness of my own inadequacies and my own inabilities. And God says, that's okay. I know that you're weak. It's in your weakness that my strength is made perfect. John Bunyan has a, a great quote. In fact, I took this quote and I turned it into a little poster that I have uh, in my office. It's got a picture of a soldier with a sword and he's kneeling before his king. And this is the quote that Christian says in Pilgrim's Progress. He says, It is my duty to distrust my own ability so that I may have reliance on him that is stronger than all. Don't miss that, my friends. That is such an important key. Confidence in God is the source of our strength. Those foundation piles would have no stability if they were just driven down into the topsoil. They had to be driven down into something strong enough to hold the entire tower. And Jesus himself said, when the storm comes, those who have built their house on the sand will find that their house is nothing but dust and rubble. It is building your house, your tower on the foundation stone of someone who is almighty in his power and love and strength. It is building your confidence on God. 
Well, there's one more cool thing I want to show you about this confidence, and it's back in chapter one, and we learned that this confidence is not just something for me, something internal, but it is something that impacts others around me. Paul talks about this back in chapter one, verse 14. In verse 13, he says, It has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. In verse 14, he says, And because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have far more courage, that's the word, confidence, to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. They have papathos. They have confidence. Why? Because they see their friend Paul, who is able to go through this storm, weather the storm with the power of a mountain, and that becomes contagious. That confidence spreads to those around him, and so they become bold evangelists themselves, speaking the word of God with confidence, fearlessly. Isn't that so cool? When I learn to become a man who puts his confidence in Almighty God and lives that way, that type of confidence can't help but just rub off on those around me and impact their lives as well and make them warriors for Christ. But friend, I'll admit to you again, this is not something that comes naturally to me. This is not one of my strong points in my spiritual life. Just earlier this week, as a matter of fact, I was wrestling with something in my life that I was frustrated about, that I was worried and anxious about and stressed about. And I was preparing for this lesson. And I was like, Lord, how can I talk to anybody about confidence when I have this kind of anxiety in my own heart? And the Lord, in his gracious way, gave me a picture at that moment. He reminded me that earlier that day, I took my young children out for a bike ride. And it was a beautiful day, glorious day for a bike ride. But my children aren't necessarily fond of riding their bikes with their old dad. And so sometimes when I invite them, I have to almost twist their arms to make them come with me. And they'll say, well, where are we going, dad? Is it a fun place or is it boring? (laughs) Or they'll say, oh, are we going up the hill? Because that's way too hard. I don't think we can make it to the top of the hill. They'll complain in this way or that. And, but that particular day, When I took them out, I didn't hear any of that type of complaining. They just followed along behind me. And I had a particularly special destination in mind for them, so I knew that they were going to enjoy the bike ride. But I was a little worried that along the way that I would hear the complaining behind me. But you know what? I didn't. And in that moment, when I was sitting on the porch praying about my stress, the Lord reminded me of that, and he said, Kevin, how did you feel when you took your children for a bike ride this morning? When against your expectations, they didn't complain, they didn't whine, they just followed along happily right beside you. And I had to admit that was just a really delightful time that I had with my kids. And I felt like the Lord was saying, that is exactly how I feel when you put aside your stress and anxiety and just trust me. Just trust me on this ride. My friend, that was such an aha moment for me right there. All of a sudden, I could just picture the smile on my father's face when I finally learned to just relax, just rest in quietness and trust, and to put my hope and confidence in him that he would get just as much joy and pleasure from that as I got from riding my bike with my kids that day. 
and I have no doubt that my father has got many more bike rides for me to learn this lesson. He's going to keep bringing me back around again and again because he wants this confidence to become the bedrock in my soul, a confidence in him that permeates my entire character. Years ago, a good friend of mine asked me this really powerful question. He said, Kevin, what does your worry tell the world about God? Wow, that hit me right between the eyes because I could see that my anxiety was telling the world that my God is not reliable. But I want to have a life of such bedrock, foundational confidence in God Almighty that people around me will see it and it will rub off on them. That is my prayer. That is the cry of my heart for you and for me, that we would be able to speak the words of Philippians 1.6 with all the certainty and conviction that Paul had when he first wrote them down. And he said, I am confident of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for reminding us that we can trust you, that we can build our lives on you. It's not just about believing in Jesus. Get rid of the word in altogether. It's just believing Jesus. I feel like you're asking me again and again, do you believe me now? Do you believe me now? And I want, I want my answer to be every time you ask, yes, yes, Savior. I trust you. I'm confident that you are reliable and I can build my life on you. And I pray for my friends who are listening right now that you would give them that kind of bedrock confidence too, that it would just transform their lives, that they would see the smile on your face when your children are simply, happily, confidently trusting you. That's what we want, Lord. So Holy Spirit, do that miraculous work in our lives. Thank you for that privilege of knowing you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. It's been an honor to have you spend this time with me, but don't let it end here. May the words of God continue to resonate in your heart and transform your life until the day you meet our glorious King and Savior face to face.